Okay, so we're in a two-message series on eldership and talking about what that is, what that means. Last week, what we, what we saw from Acts chapter 20 is mainly that God loves His church. God loves His church. And so uh, we, we want to be diligent to obey what the Scriptures teach about membership, mainly because God established these things because He cares so much about this church. What we saw uh, last time from the scripture is that God uh, sees the church as his bride, his body, and his temple. We just looked quickly at those. We, we, we noted that the Lord wants um, his bride to be pure, his body to be healthy and uh, thriving and function, growing, and he wants his household, his temple, to be a, uh, a unified diversity. And so that's what we celebrate here is trying to uh, work toward that end. And so church leadership matters and eldership matters because the health of the body matters. The purity of the bride matters. The unity of the church, the temple matters. And all of that matters because God loves his church. So we are the flock of God. We are the flock. And I use that illustration on purpose because that's all through the scriptures. It's a constant metaphor of a sheep and his shepherd. And what we see in the text is that Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. We'll see that again this morning. So in this local flock, in this local church, uh, we are sheep and Christ is our shepherd. But he has given to us some leaders, some under shepherds. To steer and to lead, to feed the sheep, to guard and protect the sheep, all those things. So for 10 years, our church has just celebrated 10 years uh, last fall. For 10 years, the Lord has really blessed uh, the leadership in this church. God has given us some, some great men to guide and to lead along the way. And by the testimony of these elders and from my own limited experiences, you guys have been a church that's a joy to lead, a joy to shepherd. So today is significant because we're affirming three new men to come on board and to join in the, the leadership, the shepherding responsibility uh, of this church. I just want to mention one thing and then I'm going to invite those guys to come one by one and introduce themselves, share just a, a few minutes with you. Um, but I want to say this, in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, uh, we are servants. Now, the, the word in the scripture normally translated servant is a Greek word doulos, which means slave. But in this particular verse, in 1 Corinthians 4, he uses a different word. It's, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it really well, but it's huperetes. I won't try that again. But it means an under rower. So I want you to get the picture. This is not just a slave, but it's the slave that or the servant who's at the bottom of the ship in the hull of the boat, kind of has the oar sticking out the side and is rowing the boat. This is the, a very lowly position with a very simple job just to row at the speed and the pace that the captain directs and in the direction that the captain directs. So here's what I want to say to these men before they come is that we together as elders, as under rowers of this ship, it's our desire to row this boat in the direction and with the speed with which our captain orders. Just to follow his directives and follow his commands and do exactly 
what he says. So I'm thankful, and I know you're thankful, that the Lord has given Mountain View Church some very godly men to serve and to lead us. And so I want to introduce those guys to you now. Uh, Stephen's going to come first, and then Jeff will come, and then Judson right after. So men, if you'll just come and uh, share for a moment. Stephen, why don't you come? Okay, so as Justin says, I'm Stephen McCurdy. I have a couple scriptures here that I think will, you know, lay out uh, what I want to say about what God's done for me. And also uh, what I feel like my call is here at this church. First, I want to read Psalm 42. I know Sarah's really quick at getting that up. But it says, He drew me up. From the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. You know, I use this scripture as my life verse because it paints a perfect picture of what God has done for me and what He continues to do for me in my life. The fact is, five years ago, my life was a real mess, as most of you here know. I was on a path that was taking me downward to the pit of destruction and my feet were caught in a miry bog. It's like I just couldn't get out of this mess. Five years ago from this past December, as a broken man, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and He snatched me up out of that pit. He freed my steps so that I could walk with Him and that's what I've been trying to do every day is simple obedience from that point on in my life. Today I stand here with my feet firmly planted on the rock known as Christ Jesus. And I know that He is going to continue to make my steps secure as I go forward. You know, and the Scripture tells us that. It tells us that once our feet is freed, that we're supposed to walk with Him because that's what it says. You know, our feet's firmly planted and He is making our steps secure as we go forward. Being affirmed here today as an elder is the next step for me in obedience in my walk with Jesus Christ. I believe that He has given me certain passions and abilities that will enable me to serve here in this role today. I use 2 Timothy 4 as the text, I believe, that speaks to this. 2 Timothy 4, well, I'm actually going to go on and read a little bit more. Like I said, I'm a guy that loves the Scripture, so I'm going to go on and read a little bit more of that than what I have actually down here. So as we start 4.1, it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. See, Paul's writing this to Timothy, who's a young disciple under him, who has pastored here at Ephesus for about four years. He's writing this as a way of encouragement to him, but also to tell him how Paul wants him to lead and guide this church. But this is words for all of us here that are elders today of how we should lead and guide this church as well. I believe this also speaks to 
you know, passions that he has given me in my life because part of the transformation that occurred in my life very early on after my new birth was that God has given me a deep passion for his word and to study his word. Very early on, after this transformation started in my life in December, I just felt this inner feeling within myself that's like telling me that I needed to study. I needed to be reading God's Word. And I could hear over and over, it's like His voice was saying, you need to be getting ready. You know, you need to be getting prepared for what's coming for your life. You know, and it didn't make a lot of sense to me because, you know, I sort of looked at that point as like studying was sort of a duty. You know, that I had to do that. I'm just trying to appease God. But God began to show me that he had something in store for me. And I needed to know this word. I needed to be able to speak this word and teach this word. And so I just began to be obedient. Just day after day, I would just try to listen to this and try to turn from the world a little more. Study this word and uh, just stay connected to him. And my testimony is that my life become increasingly better because of that as I was more obedient. To him, And so I began to study different doctrines in the Bible with Russ's help. We dug into some Bible studies and some word. And uh, I actually uh, become really interested in listening to uh, different commentaries, you know. And uh, I listen to a lot of John MacArthur commentaries and stuff. And uh, if you've listened to that very much, as Luke can tell you, you know, that's, that's a gift from God. If you really, in your spare time, might listen to John MacArthur commentaries. She tell you, that, that's something that comes from God. That's not something that's at all from me, I promise you. So... Yeah, so, so that's sort of, uh, you know, the things I've done to be prepared, um, you know, for this moment in my life. And, uh, you know, today I know for sure what I was being prepared for. I was being prepared for this day in my life to step in this role here at this church. And, and so looking back on that, you know, I can see God's plan, you know, really coming into play. We talked at CR the other night about how you can always look back and see how God's plan was bringing you to this point, even though it may not make sense in that time. And that's exactly what was happening to me, you know, four and five years ago. And so I'm just here today to say that, you know, I promise to continue to study. I promise to continue to preach the word, uh, being ready in and out of season, as the scripture says. I always promise to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I'm honored to be standing here today, counted worthy of being your servant in the role of elder. And this is my testimony of repentance, surrender, obedience, and the abilities that I believe Christ Jesus has given me. But it's also my public profession here today that I'm 100% committed to serving this church. Thank you. Good morning. My name is uh, Jeff Glenning, and a little bit about myself. Uh, I was saved when I was 11. I was downstairs watching TV. It was a TV evangelist. Not something I did a lot before, and if I'm honest, not something I've done a lot after. But God put a special call on my life then. I went upstairs found my dad and had a conversation with my father. I had uh, went through the whole process of accepting Jesus Christ as my personal savior. Um, And I was fortunate enough to share that with my father, right? That means so much to me. 
Uh, my father was a man who was always in the Word of God. He used to drive my mother crazy. He would have his books piled on the dining room table. I mean, tens if not hundreds of books just studying the Word of God. He would teach a small group. Uh, a man who loved the Lord. So as my life you know, developed, I continued building my relationship with God, or I should say he continued building uh, the relationship. Uh, I got married to my lovely wife, Suzanne. Uh, we've been married uh, 13, 14 years now, something like that. Um, and we have a, uh, a couple of kids, my son, Carlton. Uh, if you don't know Carlton, he's the one you hear whenever you walk by Kids Place, okay? <laughs> and my son, uh, Joel, he is uh, known as the comfort baby, right? So thank you, thank you, Sarah. <laughs> so what I came to understand is that there is a joy and a responsibility that comes with being in a family that's not unlike the responsibility of being in a church. Uh, in this time, God also increased my understanding of the need of prayer and the power of prayer in no small part, again, through my lovely wife, Suzanne. So let's turn to some scripture. John fifteen seven. That's John fifteen seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Okay, now what does that mean? We really like the second half. Ask for whatever you want to get it, right? But what's that first half mean? You know, that's what the Lord has been teaching me for a long time. Effectual prayer happens when you ask for what God wants for your life, right? It's not, it's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's do you ask for what God wants in your life? As um, I've been going through the eldership process, um, there's a couple of things that, you know, God has been showing me. Uh, Acts 6.4 this is, uh, just to set this verse up a little bit, this is uh, the uh, apostles, if you will, the original elders of the church. And what do they say in 6-4? But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's pretty clear. Uh, it goes, James 5-14 goes a little bit beyond that. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Sometimes all you have to do is ask. When you ask God for something, what you're saying is, I can't do this myself, Lord. I need your help. Please help me. That is so important. The thing that I want you to understand here at Mountain View is when you get to that place, when you are realizing you can't do it by yourself and you ask God for help, you are not alone. There's lots of people here that love you and are willing to pray with you and go through life with you. Amen. All right. 
you are not alone. Susan and I, we normally sit over here, uh, just so we're kind of close to the prayer area. Um, I also chose that spot just so you could see me very clearly with the light reflecting off of certain features. I I hope not to blind anybody in the back. Um, But we are very happy to uh, pray with you and pray for you. Um, We also have a small group uh, Sunday night. We meet at 530 over in DeArmondville if anybody is interested. Uh, Really, it's just about doing life together and praying with each other. So I'm happy to be a part of Mountain View and to serve this fellowship. Sorry, I don't need this. Naturally loud, you can ask my wife. Good morning, my name is Judson Blooster, and um, for those who don't know, my name is Judson, it's my wife, Megan. Um, We have three rambunctious, wild boys. Um, If any time you're by the the children's thing or in the nursery and you hear screaming along with um, with Carlton, that'd be mine right there with them the whole time. And I'm telling you, they're, they're, as my father-in-law says, they would tear up an anvil if they could. But... um, it is a blessing, and you know where God has taken me in my life. When uh, I never grew up in church, church wasn't a thing that was on my radar growing up. Um, I had a friend invite me. I'm, as I shared my testimony before, just, I had a friend come to my house one time when I was about fifteen and said, "Hey, would you like a free trip to Florida? Anybody else in here would like a free trip to Florida? Yes, everyone here would. Come on." So I was like, "Yeah, I'm going. I'm down." But I didn't know what was going to happen that week, and I got introduced to. It was a youth camp. And so I got introduced to, to some things of God. And I thought when I was 15 years old, I thought I, thought I was saved. I, I repeated a prayer. And, and the thing was, I went on and lived my life the same. There was no change inside. God didn't transform me. I just tried to be a better person. And it didn't work out that way. God saved me when I was after high school, when I was about 18 years old. And that's when God actually changed who I was. It wasn't no longer about trying to play these games about, hey, look, I'm going to try to act a certain way or I'm going to say these certain words so I can find acceptance from my new church friends. It was actually God changing who I was. And that was a true transformation that took, took place in my life. You know, since then, I'd like to say that, you know, life's been nothing but a breeze since I became a Christian, but that's not the case. You know... I'm not coming up here, standing here saying, look at me, I'm a perfect guy. You should model your life after me. No, I try to model my life as best as I can after Jesus. That's the only one who I can look to and turn to. If you're looking for perfection in your life, don't look to any other man. Look to Christ, the only one who is perfect. And so, as I was going through this process, we've been meeting now for several months about what it means to be an elder and... You know, what does that look like in a person and their characteristics and their, and their heart and stuff? And I, I begin to mull that over in my mind. I'm like, God, you know, as I think about becoming an elder, God, there's, I just don't feel worthy. You know, I don't feel like a guy who can stand up and say, hey, look, 
you know, I want to I want to do this. I want to lead a church and stuff. And God said, you're right. You're not. But I am. And I will use you if you let me. And that's the same for everybody in this room. We can be used by God if we let him. A lot of times we want to put up walls in our lives and try to shut God out. But God's like, no, just move those walls out of the way and let me work. Because I know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. God knows what he's doing. Trust me. Because if it was up to me, we'd all be in trouble. So as I was reading through this, I was led to Acts 20, verse 28. Acts 20, 28. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You know, when I read that and I think about what an elder is, an elder is a guy who, who knows the word of God. An elder is a guy who trusts in the Lord. And an elder is a guy who watches the, the flock, who's the protector. And when the shepherd's out there with this flock of sheep and the wolves come, it's the shepherd's job to protect the sheep because sheep can't protect themselves. Shepherd has to go out there and put himself out there to protect the sheep from the wolves that come in. And you know, we're not talking about, we know we could be talking about spirit, uh, physical wolves coming in here in the form of false teachers and stuff. But we're ma- mainly looking at spiritual wolves. These people that come in and, and say things that, are, that, are her- that preach heresy or things that are not of the Bible or try to, try to lead in a certain way that doesn't line up with the Word of God. And the elder in the church is supposed to protect against that. And I feel like that's what God is leading me in my role as an elder for protection. You know, just as I am a husband, I, try, I do my best to protect my family. You know, I'll do anything for my family. I would do anything I could to fight off anything that came to my family. And if I couldn't whoop them, i got three kids that can. Okay? <laughs> They'd crawl on that person scratch their eyeballs out like it was nothing. But, you know, that... As your job as a husband, that's your job to protect. You protect your family, you protect your bride. And Christ's job is to protect his flock as well. And he ensures that through the ministry of elders. So with all that, my, my verse that I have, my life verse that I have felt was, is Galatians 6.14. It says, but for, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Guys, I can't boast about anything except for what Christ has done. If I boast about anything in my life, it is nothing. The Bible says that my righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing for me to boast about except what Christ has done in my life. You know, today I commit to this church to be a man that will bring honor to Christ the best way I know how. A student of His Word and apply His truths to my life. I will commit to serve and defend this church based upon the authority and the truths of Scripture. Thank you. Amen. So our plan for the rest of the morning is I want to give a challenge to these guys and then a call to the church. Uh, I, I have every intention of being brief, 
So you guys hold me to about 12 minutes, and then at the end of that, I want us to uh, have a time of prayer together over these men and their wives, okay? Grab your Bibles and go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, and you can look at the, the uh, outline that you should have in your hands there. As you turn into 1 Peter 5, one thing we said last week is that an elder is a shepherd and an overseer in God's church. That's what the scriptures over and over and over continually teach us is that an elder is a shepherd. That's one of the words translated elders, the Greek word poimen, and then an overseer in God's church. And there's a couple of words for that, episkopos and presbyteros, are translated as overseer, leader, uh, bishop. But an elder is a shepherd and overseer in God's church. So here's a challenge to the elders. I told the, these three guys to sit close. I wanted them in spitting distance. So uh, I don't know if I can spit that far, Jeff, but we'll try. I chose well. Oh, you chose well. All right. So from 1 Peter chapter 5, I want us to stand together, church, as we read. This will be the primary text, and then we'll go to Hebrews in a moment. So 1 Peter 5, I'm just going to read verses 1 through uh, 6. Peter's writing as an elder, and he's writing to elders. And here's what he says. So I exhort the elders among you as, fellow, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here's the command. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Amen. You can be seated. So the first challenge to the elders is simple. It's straight from the text. Shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. And the word shepherd here is, is, is verb. It's an imperative command to shepherd the flock. So what does that mean? What does it mean to shepherd the flock? We, we talked about this last week, but I'm going to hit these three again. Um, it means that you feed the sheep. What, what did Peter would know this best, right? Jesus, one of their last conversations, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. What did Jesus say? Feed my sheep, right? So this is, this is a key aspect of what it means to be a shepherd, to feed the sheep the word of God. To lead so to feed, to lead the sheep in the will of God. So a shepherd has to know the word of God in order to teach people and help guide people in the will of God. And then lastly, so feed, lead, and then lastly, care and protect. So sheep need nurturing. There's different things they need to be cared for and nurtured for during sickness or hurt or injury or whatever it is. You know, the psalmist writes, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, talking about the shepherd to the sheep. 
So there's care and then there's protection. You heard that in Judson's testimony. All, all through the scriptures, the shepherds are talked about as those who guard and protect the flock from uh, wolves and any kind of danger. So shepherds feed, lead, they care, they protect the flock. In this scripture, we see Peter saying, shepherd the flock, and then he gives some how-tos. He says, exercising oversight. Exercising oversight. This, this is just to guide the flock as they live out their faith. Then Peter says, I want you to do this willingly, not under compulsion. Paul would say it similarly in 1 Peter chapter 3. He actually says in the beginning, the first qualification of an elder is that he desired this task. That he desired. So you shouldn't be under obligation. So Peter here is reiterating that idea. If you don't desire to be a shepherd of the flock, then this isn't for you. And that's okay. The next thing he says is to do it eagerly. So it's interesting how he puts um, doing it for shameful gain in, in opposition to serving the Lord eagerly. Well, what Peter says is that we should serve him eagerly to not have any other motivation than just to be the servant of the church, the shepherd of the flock. So not considering what gain you may or may not lose, but being motivated by the love of Christ for his church, you are eager to serve the body. And then lastly, he says to be examples. This is how you shepherd. You shepherd as an example. Paul would say it this way in 1 Corinthians 11, 1. He says, follow me. As I follow Christ. So I love what Judson was saying there at the end is I'm not perfect. I'm just trying to follow the one who is perfect. But you know what? On that journey, it'd be great to follow him, right? So speaking of being an example, I want to give you four quick things that elders must be as an example. So you may want to write these down. Elders must be men of conviction. Men of conviction. What that means is that they're men who hold firm to the truth of Scripture. In Titus chapter 3, Paul's writing to another pastor, another elder, Titus, and he says you've got to hold firm to the truths of the Scriptures. Men of conviction. Our convictions as elders are not our opinions. It's the Scriptures. It's the Word of God and we hold firmly to it. Men of conviction. Secondly, men of character. There's several lists in the Bible, 1 Timothy, Titus, several lists in the Bible of the qualifications for elder. And about 90% of those lists are about his character, the kind of man he is. So we're, we as elders are to be living, a living model, an example of faith and obedience to Christ. That does not mean these men are perfect. Certainly doesn't mean I'm perfect or any of our other elders are perfect. That's not it. In fact, when Paul writes to, Th- to Timothy, he says, let your progress be evident to all. Let your progress. So I want to encourage you, men, in, in order for people to see your progress, they also have to see your weaknesses, right? Amen. So in order for the people to see that you're making progress, strides in progress, they've got to know you've struggled. And that's life. So it's not our perfection, it's our progress that matters. But there must be progress. It must be forward momentum. And I want to call you to be men of character with forward momentum. Must be men of competence. So of the lists in the Bible, the one aspect that is a distinguisher between an elder and a deacon is elders must be able to teach. 
Now, it does not mean they have to be gifted as preachers or, or you know, the, the orator speaker necessarily. What it means is they've got to know this book well enough to explain what we believe. Well enough to help you find answers to your questions from this book. Able to teach is the competency test of an elder. To rightly divide the word of truth, as Paul wrote to Timothy. Study to show yourself approved as one who could rightly divide the word of truth. He's talking as a pastor to a pastor. And this is a competence that we must have. Fourthly, elders must be men of cooperation. All through the scriptures, what you read is that it's not one pastor. It's not one elder who leads a flock. It's a plurality. Paul writes to Timothy, he writes in several places and says, I want you to set up elders in every town. Elders, plural. There's a plurality of leadership and it's incredibly practically beneficial. Um, I could give you lots of things, but the main point I want to make here is that as a group, men, we've got to be a team. And we may see different ways to accomplish the goal, but the goal has to be the same. And the goal, as our Lord Jesus gave it to us, is we have a mission to make disciples of all nations. That's our aim and our goal. And if we come together, we want to do all that we do as a team to accomplish that mission. Men of conviction, men of character, men of competence, and men of cooperation. The second thing I want us to see from this passage is you will answer to Christ. This is a strong point, men. You're not accountable to me. You're not even really accountable ultimately to each other. You're not even ultimately accountable to this church, even though you are. We are ultimately accountable to Christ for how we lead. And in this text, Peter gives the the positive affirming uh, side of that. He says, hey, if you lead like this, if you shepherd in these ways, you will receive the crown from the Lord Jesus, the chief shepherd, right? But the reality is James chapter three tells us that let not many of you become teachers and leaders. For you will face a stricter judgment. And here's the point. We are accountable to Jesus Christ. We will answer to Christ. So there are those who will receive a crown for the way they lead. And there are those who will face a stricter judgment for the way they lead. And in this church, let's hold each other accountable to be those who serve so well. That in the day of judgment, we'll receive a crown that we can then give back to Christ in worship. Thirdly. Peter says to lead with humility. So humility is the key. I want to talk for just a moment about this. Humility is the key. There are those who get into leadership and aspire to positions of authority for selfish gain. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There are some who aspire to, aspire to a high position just for some selfish uh, purpose. There's no place for that in the eldership of God. He always talks about this position in, a term, in terms of service, in terms of humility. This is not a spot to lift yourself up. And the warning in the text from Peter is this. You don't want to find yourself in opposition to God. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Right? Humility is the key. 
I want to give you a key idea. Here it is. Men, we should be repeating this to ourselves. Here it is. It's not about me. It's not about me. Service in the Lord's kingdom is not about you. Men, I want you to look around. For real, like look around. Elders in the church, I want you to look around. Look at these people. Do you see young newlyweds in this church? I do. Do you know that they need to be shepherded in how to love one another well and serve each other and not look to, uh, to take from each other but to give? Do you see our precious elderly saints who have served the Lord for a long time and now struggle with loneliness or ailments or pains? Do you know that they need your love, your service? They need to be comforted and guided in how to finish the race well. Do you see our teenagers trying desperately to keep up with the latest digital social experiments? If you hadn't seen it, it looks like this. (laughs) Right? I don't know what it is, but it's crazy. But they need elders who tell them of, of a God who has a beautiful purpose for their lives and not to waste their lives. They need men who are going to guide them in the truth of Scripture to leave the world behind and follow Christ. Do you see people battling with sickness, with cancer, with um, Parkinson's, with other issues? As I look around the church, I see struggles and health issues like that. We need to be comforted to know that Christ is enough and that while our bodies suffer, our souls thrive in the kingdom. Do you see those struggling to have children? Or those struggling because they've had children? (laughs) In both cases, the shepherds of the flock need to be there to comfort and to guide and to, to steer, to lead in the will of God. Do you see that young lady who wants so badly to be married and to start her family? Will you have the courage... To love her and call her to live now for Christ. That she's not incomplete without a man. Do you see God's people? Men, this is not a crowd. These are God's people. It's His sheep and He's called us to be His shepherds. That means to love them. To feed them. To lead them. To serve them. To know them. It's not about you. Now, church, if you'll flip over a few pages with me to Hebrews 13, I have a quick exhortation for you. Very quick. Three quick things from this passage. Hebrews 13, I just want us to read three verses. Verse 7 says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. Verse 17, Hebrews 13, verse 17, look at the Scripture. The Word of God says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. That's a heavy responsibility. As those who will have to give an account... So let them do this with joy and not with groaning, 
For that would be of no advantage to you. And then verse 18. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience aspiring to act honorably in all things. I want to give you three exhortations very quickly. First one. Church, how do you respond to this? Is this. Imitate. I want you to write that word down. Imitate. From verse 7 he says. Remember, consider, imitate. Men, that's a high responsibility on us, right? Elders, live a life that's worth imitating. The Scripture says to think about your elders, be thankful for their sacrifice, look at the fruit of their labor, be inspired by their growth and their progress, and then follow their example. These are pretty strong admonitions. Secondly, From verse 17, the Scripture says to submit to your leaders. Obey and submit. For they're keeping watch over your souls and they'll have to give an account for that. It tells you to to follow their leadership in a way that makes them joyful to lead you. Alright, so submit's a tough word. Our, Our rebellious hearts almost immediately reject it, right? We're like, submit? What are you talking about? But God calls us to submit to all authority, right? And if you struggle to submit to your spiritual authorities who want to feed you and lead you and serve you and shepherd you and care for you and protect you, if you struggle to submit to them, you probably struggle to submit to a lot of authority. So I want to call you to trust and submit to these men who desire to lovingly serve you. Submission, by the way, implies disagreement. It's not submission when you agree. You just agree. Submission is when you disagree and you still choose to follow their lead. And the whole point here is for the sake of unity. When Paul writes in Ephesians 4, he says, Eagerly strive for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That striving requires submission and trust of leadership. So there's joy when leaders lead well and a church follows Faithfully. Lastly, pray. Pray for your elders. So we want to honor Christ in all things, so pray. And yes, I mean actually pray. 